Oh, it's a sad moment for myself. I'm just going to refrain from speaking. We're here today to speak on behalf of one Tennessee volunteers. You brought joy to many hearts, not mine, but many of East Tennessee hearts. And as we come to you just one week into the season, we lay you to rest here on this beautiful September day. They say play like 98, but it's more like 83. First home loss. Goodbye, Tennessee. Samuel cuts it back. Ohio State wins. I put my heart in this Let's go, man. That is as good as it gets. I represent me in this issue. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You've got to get two yards. I don't know. I don't think so. No way. Kentucky wins. Welcome to the Peace of Mind Podcast. Uh, it's your boy AJ. I'm here uh, by myself today. Kevin could not make it, but we will power through. We will get uh, moving into the episode. I've also got our producer justice west with me as well um so if you hear him chime in make some comments it's not a ghost it's not jesus justice is here with us um but i want to jump right into it it's our first full week of college football and i think that uh it didn't disappoint i think there were a lot of good games there were a lot of back and forth games there were also a lot of i would say some chaos that took place as well um i wanted to start just by mentioning a few a few subtle things that caught my eye. One, just being like the first-year head coaches. Um, Mel Tucker, um, also Mac Brown. I'm forgetting somebody else's name. Mel Tucker, Mac Brown. There was one other first-year coach. It'll come to me eventually. But getting that first win, like getting that monkey off your back, um, I think that goes a long way uh, to, to helping your team be believers in what you're doing, but also um, just getting the fans behind you kind of like to push you forward to say like, hey, like, yeah, this is a new regime, but but we we trust in what's happening. Oh, the other one, Les Miles. I don't know how I forgot my man, grass leader. But yeah, like having the fans be behind you just enough to say, hey, for at least one week, we feel like we made the right decision in who we picked. Um, so I think that that was – um, a big time thing that I saw um, within this within this year. Some other things that kind of caught my eye, even with first year coaches. I thought that um, Satterfield at Louisville, while they didn't win and the second half kind of got away from them, the first half they did look much improved. And you all know my dislike for Louisville. So for me to come on here and say that uh, I was impressed with how they looked to start the game, like that's you got to take that. That's, that's, that's truly how I feel. And I do think that if you're a Louisville fan, you have something to look forward to in the future um, for your team. 
for my t- second year coaches, uh, man, it did not bode well for a lot of them. Um, Tennessee, UCLA, uh, as well as Florida State, all second year coaches, um, coaches that were pretty much sought to help turn around a program that was already struggling. And all three of them really suffered bad losses. Um, UCLA just at times looked incompetent. Um, offensively, they didn't look like they had any rhythm at all. Um, and it was just hard to tell like what their identity was. Like what, what were they good at? Like what were they trying to do well at? And it was hard to, it was hard to tell. Um, I just wasn't, I wasn't necessarily pleased with what I saw. Um, and I think as, if you're a UCLA fan, you got to kind of, you got to kind of be holding your head right now and thinking like, where are we going to turn from here? Uh, same with Florida State and Tennessee. Um, I mean, we can all laugh and joke because Tennessee lost to Georgia State, but like, that's, I mean, that's pretty bad. That's extremely bad from a two and 10 team the year before coming into your home crowd first game of the season like that you just can't lose that game and I think that immediately puts Pruitt on the hot seat like he's got he's got to turn it around here and honestly their schedule it still has some life in it because Missouri and South Carolina didn't look great um there's no te- uh, especially South Carolina losing a quarterback. Um, they've still got UAB on the schedule. They could turn it around this week with BYU. So they've still got some manageable games on there. But that road to getting six wins and getting to a bowl game just went from like a short hill to Mount Everest. Like, I mean, it just grew enormously when you can't beat probably the worst team on your schedule. Um, it doesn't bode well for the rest of the year. So I think. Rightfully so, the fans in Knoxville are mad, and 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 I think Prude's got his work cut out for him. We'll see what they can bounce back with this week, but um, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be an uphill battle for certain. So AJ, uh, I have a question for mm-hmm. you on that note. So you noted how Tennessee fans are mad. So if I asked you for the three teams you mentioned, UCLA, Florida State, and Tennessee if you were rating the fans emotions, like on a scale are, which of those are mad, which of those are, you know, content because it's the process, which of those are apathetic. Cause I think Tennessee fans are starting to get to the point where it's not mad anymore. It's just apathetic. So I'm curious what your thoughts are for them and UCLA and Florida state. I'd say sensible Tennessee fans are apathetic. The the majority of Tennessee fans are pissed, um, and they should be. Uh, and I think that part of it is there's never there's never a a clear, honest projection going into the season for Tennessee fans. For the majority, they always think that this is that in this process you're going to go from four wins, five wins to nine or 10 wins, just like that. And it just doesn't happen that way. Um, And so I think that part of it is their problem, but then also like, you just can't lose to Georgia state. Like that's (laughs) like, that's the crux of it. Like I can't blame the fans. Like you can't lose to Georgia state. Like it's just that simple. I think that 
you know, Florida State, I think they they lost to a pretty good team. Um, and although although they had a freshman quarterback, like they're like Boise's Boise's going to be in a bowl game. Like that's a good team. UCLA, like um Cincinnati's gonna be in a bowl game. That's a good team. I think Florida State looked miles better than any of the other teams we're talking about. Um I, I think Florida State is I think they got comfortable. And one thing you can't do when you've struggled to win at a consistent rate lately, you can't get comfortable. And I think that you ever seen like when it's almost like um it's almost like March Madness. The team will get up by like 13 mm-hmm. and then in the second half. And then you're like, all right, well, not necessarily dribble out the clock, but we're a little bit more patient in our offense and we're doing some things differently instead of just attacking how you have been. And then like a couple of missed shots, maybe a turnover and the other team hits a couple threes and that 13 point lead has shrunk to five. And then you're like, Oh shit, we gotta like rev it back up and like get back going again. I think that that's kind of what Florida State ran into it, where I think they got up by f- fourteen or fifteen, and they thought that Boise State was gonna lay down. And when they didn't, it was hard to muster up that same emotion, that same fight, because the momentum had already left their side. Um, they're also a stupid play slash. I get the mindset, but you got to just be aware enough of where you are on the field and following the ball. They're one small mistake away from potentially not losing that game. So out of all the teams that we're discussing, um, I do think that they probably fall into a scenario where um, they have the most upside to look forward to out of the three teams. I think I'd agree with you on just their talent alone, but Let's be real. So a couple things here. I'm going to insult Tennessee plenty, so this is not against Florida State in this regard. Part of the score in the first half was a fluke. If you look at any stats, even just not even talking about advanced analytics, just like regular counting stats, uh, BYU just had some misfortune in the red zone, and FSU hit on like a couple. Some were just good plays. Some were just week one, you know, busted coverages or missed tackles kind of deal. And so you kind of the game in the second half wasn't really, especially from a BYU offensive perspective, like a radical shift. They were basically accumulating the same amount of yards and plays. They just cashed it in. And so I think for Florida State, there's a little more reason for worry outside of just the comeback because they very well could have been tied or down at half when they were up two or three scores. And so I agree with you there on principle. They have the most upside to look forward to the Tennessee thing though, is it's the same thing. It's almost like funny enough, the same thing you said where it's like, okay, they did this and they got up and they let down a little bit and they just couldn't get back up. That was like what Tennessee did from like not even just the players, players, but the coaching staff themselves. It was like, okay, we're up, you know, 14-7 on Georgia State. We're just going to coast and keep rotating because we don't know who our best five linemen are on offense. So we're just going to keep rotating 12 guys in every series and try to see who works. And we're going to try to rotate 100 guys in on defense and see what works. And it's like one of those things where eventually it's like, okay, it's second half and it's tied. 
you just go play to win the game. Like, don't worry about that rotating, trying to treat it like a scrimmage. You just go play your best players. You think you're going to give yourself a chance to win. Call the plays that you think are going to give yourself a chance to win. Because if you show your entire playbook against Georgia State and it costs you like the Florida game, like what's worse? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I get that. I I think that to your point, part of that is you've had all off season and summer camp. You should know who your starters are. And like you shouldn't have to play that many men deep to figure out what your rotation is going to be. Exactly. And so I think that, that that's a little bit of the issue too. And I mean, we can we can go on about it. Point being, like, at, at sooner or later, you have to you have to take an honest look at yourself and say, who are we, and how are we going to make improvements or adjustments to get to where we're better than who we are now. Mm-hmm. Um. And I mainly am speaking to UCLA and Tennessee, um, and and honestly, really, Chip Kelly and 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 Coach Pruitt. Like, you're in your second year now, and UCLA. While I mean, they're they're a storied program as well. I don't, I won't say who's more. I would say Tennessee just because that that's relatively close to like how I grew up. So I've seen more of Tennessee, but that's not to say that UCLA is not a, I mean, they've had great players come through that school. And right now the Southern California football is up for grabs. Like uh, USC has it just, just for the blatant fact that UCLA is not good. Like nobody has a stronghold on those players and they're going elsewhere. So, I mean, like you have a chance to like, really solidify yourself as like the the more dominant team in south south uh California and and really start to inherit a lot of those really good talented players but you're missing your window it's almost like if if i could relate this to um current events UCLA is Popeyes like <laughs> you have a like you've got something that's very debated and people want to know if you're really good as you say you are, or is it just fluff? But every time I come to see you, you're out of damn chicken sandwiches. So like, eventually, like I'm just gonna stop checking for you. Like UCLA, like you're at the point now where like you could be a good team and you could get a stronghold on the SoCal players. And every time I check for you, you're losing or like you're not progressing, you're not getting better. And so, I mean, if I could challenge like two teams i'm really looking at coach pruitt and 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 coach kelly and saying like it's time for you all to make the leap like um especially chip kelly i feel like i already had him on the hot seat coming into this season um i think it's time for him to prove like he can do this at a high level at multiple places because right now you're a couple of good seasons at Oregon away from looking funny in the light. Yeah, I I would agree with you, except his buyout is probably ridiculous at UCLA. So he'll probably be safe no matter what. Listen, I watched AM buy out Coach Sumlin. I ain't taking nothing off the table. Oh, well. What is it? Twelve million is what I'm reading? Hmm. Chip Kelly. Who? That'd be 
Oh, his is his is much less than uh, Coach Sumlin's then. But it's UCLA. Oh, no, I mean, that I was what it, they're paying like, Jim Mora right now. Excuse me. That's not even okay. alone what they have to pay Kelly. Okay, never mind. That's, that's awful. They got to do better. Oh, man. What next you got for us? Also, I'm just reading here, like, in the buyout for Coach Sumlin, they had to pay him within uh, 60 days of his buyout. So, like, it, like day 59, if I hadn't got paid, I know when I wake up tomorrow, that direct deposit better hit. And it better be funky with all them zeros. No wonder he could care less at Arizona. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> 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 but... Anyway, we're going to take a quick break here. Uh, going to do our advertisement. We'll be right back with our main segment. All right. And we're back with the Peace of Mind podcast. I uh, want to get into our, our main segment here where we were we were going to cover a couple of the the top games that everybody was looking forward to this week. Um want to start with the Duke-Alabama game. Um, this was the first game back after the thumping Alabama took uh, at the hands of Clemson. Um, it's the first time on national TV. It's really going to see, like, what type of team are we going to see out of Alabama? No disrespect to Duke here. I don't have a lot to say about them, nor do probably any of you care what I have to say about Duke. So we're just going to stick to Alabama here. Um, I will say that the majority of folks, myself included, thought that, Alabama would come out just with a hellfire of points to start the game. That didn't necessarily happen. Um, it was a zero zero game uh, throughout the first quarter and and a little bit into the second quarter. Um, so I will tip my cap to Duke. I think that when you got a coach like Coach Cutcliffe, your team's always gonna be prepared. I think you saw their preparedness play out in that they were able to play aggressive. Um, they also, they forced a turnover early. Um, they also were just in position to make plays, but ultimately how it most of the time happens in the first week of the season, you really just have the better team start to take over it and enforce their will upon, uh, um, among the other teams. And, and that's what we saw in Bama starting off with that first touchdown. And once they kind of broke the ice of getting in the end zone, you kind of knew it was only a matter of time before they really started to um, pour on the points. Um, I think one of the glaring things that that jumped off the page to me would be that outside of Najee Harris, I don't necessarily think um, Alabama's got another running back. I know they lost their five-star guy um, right before, I think it's Trey, Trey Sanders. Uh, they lost him right before the, the season started. Um, I'm pretty sure that he was slotted to probably be their number two. Um, They're not the three-headed monster that we saw last year or in years before where they've had just a a number of dynamic backs. I really think Najee Harris is going to have to tote the load uh, for them, which is a little bit different than most years because they got a quarterback that can also use his legs and improvise, and they've got – just a plethora of receivers that they could throw to. So it's not necessarily um, that big of an issue. I think mostly for Najee Harris is he's going to have to gut out some good runs 
uh, probably keep his average around five or six yards just simply to open up all the play action that they're going to want to run on the back end. Um, I think one of the things that I noticed from Duke was they didn't respect the back that that started the game. So they didn't give a damn about no play action. They were just they were charging everything as hard as they could and blowing up those runs early. And I think that once Najee Harris got into the game, I think that's why you started to see uh, a little bit more freeness in the open field. Obviously, like you got to get the ball to Jerry Judy in space and just let him make plays. Um, I mean, Ruggs, who, who I'm pretty sure they say is the fastest kid on their team. Like you got to get him in space. Uh, Waddle, you got to get him in the space. Smith, you got to get him the ball. So like they've got options. Um, I think Alabama is going to be, they're going to be much better offensively moving forward. I thought defensively they played pretty well. Um, you could definitely tell they're missing um, um, Mosley. I mean, it's, uh, you just don't lose your middle linebacker a week before the season and just think everything's going to be peaches and cream when you get into that game. So I could definitely tell that they lost, they missed Dylan Moses. Um, I didn't think Lee played poorly. I thought that he was a decent fill-in. I think that moving forward for uh, Alabama opponents, you know, next year is going to be tough because – Now you're going to have two uh, interior linebackers that have uh, just this this ridiculous amount of of in-game kind of like veteran leadership that they're going to provide. And it's probably you weren't expecting that much from Lee because next year should have been his year. But now you're rolling into next season with two of them. I think that helps. Duke didn't really have anything to test Alabama's secondary, so I still think that um, it's still yet to be seen how they're going to be from last year. I thought there was going to be a little bit more pressure up front, and so that does kind of worry me if the secondary hasn't gotten better for Alabama. I do think that they could be exposed because they're not getting as much pressure up front. All in all, I think that if you're Alabama – You've proven the point that you are here again this year. You're going to make a lot of noise. You're going to be in the playoff hunt. Um, obviously, they're going to have to get tested more for us to know um, exactly who and what they are. But I think for the first game, like you score 40-something points and you don't score at all in the first quarter. I think uh, I think everything's pretty good. Two of those for four touchdowns. I mean, it is what it is. You, I mean, you're, you're Alabama, I think – for the majority of it, like you're going to find a way to get it done. Um, our second game, which was our, our, our primetime game for Saturday is Auburn and Oregon. Um, great game, great game. Just to watch, not having any necessary uh, ties to the game or really care who wins. It was just a great game to like sit down and watch. Um, not the cleanest game, which they they rarely are the first the first week of the year, but just a all around fun game to watch, and it was tight for most of the game. Um, Oregon got the ball and just I mean, they just did whatever they wanted to to get the ball down the field, and honestly, really probably should have been up fourteen zero. Um, they're they're a wide open drop pass in the back of the end zone up from really putting the pressure on Bo Nix and Auburn to bounce back. Um, I think again, I'm, you'll hear me reference this a lot, but with 
the first half is always hard to kind of understand what's going to happen between the two teams because you've had so long to prep for it. You've got so much adrenaline going. Everybody's trying to like tell themselves not to make the big play as they're trying to make the big play. So it's hard to really get a read on your team in the first half. And I think once the halftime came, everybody got a chance to settle down, make adjustments. You really saw Auburn's defense and in particular that defensive line start to get better and, and really affect the game more. Um, I think that that, that probably was the biggest point that led Auburn to getting back in the game was that they were able to um, dictate what was happening at the line of scrimmage and put Oregon in some more pass-only situations rather than third and shorts where they could run any number of plays to pick up their first down. Um, I was impressed with Oregon's team speed. I thought for a lot of what I watched, they were able to – really get their guys into space and and into an area where they can make plays. And that was pretty impressive. And I think, you know, taking that back into the Pac-12, uh, I think that that's going to bode well for them for the rest of the year. I would have liked to see Herbert make more plays down the stretch. Um, with a tight game like that, and you probably projected as the uh, probably one of the top-tier quarterbacks coming out, I would have liked to see him make more plays for his team down the stretch. Um, didn't see that. That's not to say it's not going to happen, but I would have I would have liked to have seen it on this stage. Um, I was, however, I was pretty impressed with Bo Nix. He didn't have a flashy, great numbers game, but I thought he was pretty composed, and he didn't take his team out of the game. Now, he didn't necessarily... I won't say he won him the game. I think a lot of that was the defense um, and just some fortunate bounces. But he didn't lose. The, he didn't pull them out of the game, and he just he made just enough plays to get them a win. Uh, I thought the throw at the end, the under throw. Uh, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I think he meant to do that, and I think it was the right place to put that ball. Um, also, think it says a lot about who they want Bo Nix to be and who they think Bo Nix is now to call a play like that when you're close to in field goal range, you could probably run a few shorter routes and just inch closer to a shorter field goal. I think it says a lot about the coaching staff's beliefs of Bo Nix when they draw up a play like that for him to throw it. Um, I think that offensively Auburn will work out a lot of its kinks. I thought that, uh, um, Whitson or or Whitlow is it Whit Whitlow? I think it's I think it's Whitlow the running back. I'll check it. I, I thought he, I thought he played pretty well. Um, at times his patience hurt him, but majority of the times his patience also allowed him to get through the minutia and like actually get upfield to make great runs. I think that moving forward. They're going to rely on him to tote the ball a little bit more with maybe some of those other backs, but uh, I was pretty impressed with him. Can I ask you a question uh, real quick? Yeah. So something you said a second ago was talking about um, Auburn letting it loose with Bo Nix a little bit. Um, you have a background, obviously, playing 
uh, Division One college football in the SEC. I'm just curious what you would – let me try to phrase this question better. So you have plays drawn up every play, right, regardless of the quarterback, good or bad. So you're going to have guys running diff- different routes on different levels as wide receivers. So you may have a number mm-hmm. one option. You may have a number two option. Uh, your number three option on one play may be the, you know, the deep ball. And for another play, the number one option may be that. How often in your experience, because you may not watch it as just a common viewer on Saturday, seeing a quarterback who's either checking down more conservatively from, you know, the more aggressive route versus the one who's being a little more aggressive on their own, maybe against the kind of run of play with what was going on. Um. I mean, I, I would say for it's a pretty decent split. What I will, I don't necessarily know. Like, I can't pinpoint a quarterback that I think does it really well. What I can say is the people that typically make those checkdowns are more veteran quarterbacks. Uh, you don't see it as much with younger guys. I mean, I think of. We talk, you know, obviously me being a Kentucky fan, like I watched Terry this week and he checked it down a couple of times after going through his progressions. And that was something that um, he did not necessarily do as much last year. So I was impressed to see that. But I think a lot of times in college, at least majority of the quarterbacks have some mobility to them. So usually the progression is one, two, and I'm probably running after two, which could could work as a check down. I thought that you know watching the um, watching the Louisville Notre Dame game the other day, I thought Ian Book utilized his feet more than maybe he had to. I would have have liked him to check down a little bit more than he did, and and so to your point, I think that the number of checkdowns are probably lower in college football just because typically when, when I'm calling a player, I'm doing it, even if it, it might not necessarily be open, but if I think I've got a matchup, I'm probably going to throw it to number one. And if I don't go to one or two, I'm probably going to try to use my feet before I necessarily think of a check down. No, that's fair. I guess what I think I saw in Bo Nix was, and you correct me if I'm wrong, if you disagree, and why I I actually have said before the game I thought Bo Nix was legit. I think he was going to show out, and is you know for a freshman on a big stage, and you see in college football, you have the good ones who one progression, two progression run, the you know. The other ones who maybe are less mobile, one progression, two progression, super conservative check down. And then you have the great ones who are one progression, two progression, make a play, buy time in the pocket, kind of maneuver it, scramble a little bit to get a downfield throw, move outside, see what you see. Maybe it's sometimes take off. Maybe it's I'm going to wait and wait and wait and buy time. Like think of like this the silly college quarterbacks we've seen forever, like the Tua's, the Tebow's, the Johnny Manziel's, the guys who will just just sit in a pocket because they know how to maneuver it for a while until a guy just comes free. And I think, I'm not saying Bo Nix is in that category necessarily, but he has a little bit of that 
I'm make my progression. I don't see anything I want to hit. You know, I'm going to try to make a play, which is super cool and important. Yeah, I think one thing that I that I recognized that uh, Bo Nix was doing that was kind of impressive to me was, to your point, um, even when he would move around in the pocket, he still kept his eyes downfield. And I think that that, that is a sign of maturation that you don't necessarily see in a lot of younger guys. Typically, when things start to collapse on them or when they start to move around the pocket, eventually, like, Almost immediately, their eyes drop and they try to see what's in front of them. Uh, where Bo Nix was still trying to keep his eyes downfield and and say, "Okay, if I'm going to move around in the pocket, or if I'm going to step up into this rush, I'm going to see you know what's going on around me and see if I can get the ball out of my hands." So, I think to your point, like that was one thing that I did notice about him. Um, excited to see where both these teams go. I still think Oregon has a chance to to be special and be in double digit wins. Um, even though they lost this game. I think Auburn really set themselves up to be a competitor in the West. Um, I think the West doesn't look as deep as I thought they could possibly look after week one, but I also think like they're going to be tested more. They're going to play great teams. So I think one thing Auburn gets to hang their hat on is like, hey, we've played the top-tier team so far. Um, we've been on the primetime like, spotlight. Uh, we've done this with a, a freshman quarterback, so when he goes into the next game, hopefully he can dial in some of that and and be a little bit more comfortable to um, to his approach and and hopefully continue to you know put them in situations where they can win a game. No, I agree completely. And so for our last game here, I got uh, Oklahoma and Houston. Um, I really thought this game was going to be a little bit closer and I thought that I thought De'Eric King would, would show us a little bit more. And I don't know if that's necessarily new offense. I don't know if it was Oklahoma's better defense or if it was just a bad day. I don't know what it was. Um, he wasn't awful. Um, statistically like he was still, he still had a pretty good day. Um, I think here, what I got him down as he was um, 14 of 27. So not great there. He had 167 yards passing with two touchdowns, no interceptions. He was sacked three times, which is kind of rough. He also had 15 rushes for 103 yards and a touchdown. So it was like, I mean, a pretty decent day. Um, I, I still think I was expecting a little bit more of him. Maybe I didn't, realize how much he had done afterwards just because um, the game got out of hand early. But more importantly than that, I was really impressed with Oklahoma. Um, It's been a while since I've watched Jalen come into the game as a starter, uh, really be able to run uh, offense when he's healthy and run an offense um, centered around him. And, I mean, he showed out. Like, we'll go over his statistics and stuff later, but he showed out. And I think, like, honestly, I would say that I was probably most impressed by Oklahoma than any other team this this weekend. Um, and that says a lot. I mean, he's got weapons to throw the ball to. Um, he looked great running the ball. 
Um, they kept him upright. They kept him clean. He threw the ball pretty well. And I think that everybody would say that that's probably his, that was probably his Achilles heel originally, but I thought he threw the ball well. Um, I mean, right now, like, like I said, I think that they're, you know, they're on the fast track to be in the playoffs. They've still got some games that they've got to win later, and it's going to get tougher, I'm sure. But as a week one, I thought he played incredible. Um, I thought that Oklahoma, uh, Trey Sermon looked well running the ball. Um, he looked healthy. He was making great cuts. Um, you know, they got uh, C.D. Lamb only had two catches. And I think like he's going to be one of their better, their better receivers moving forward. Um, That's because they have a million receivers that are incredible. Well, yeah, I mean, Charleston <laughs> Rambo had a hell of a day. He had what three catches for one hundred and five and a touchdown. Um, Hazelwood, like they spread the ball around well. I mean, I'm looking here. There's two, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. There's ten different people caught the ball, like. That's that's outstanding. Um, the one negative that I could probably find in this game uh, is that their kicker was zero for two. Um, one from, I think one was from inside the forty or inside forty yards, and the other was inside fifty yards. He was zero for two. I think that like obviously they'll have to clear that up, but with the way their offense works and operates, they're going to have plenty of time to iron out their kicking because they're going to be scoring a lot of points. So um, those were my takes on those games. Um, Of course, we'll continue to do this each week, um, diving into some more games. Um, I wanted to talk about um, a couple of hot takes, but I think I'm going to wait and just see how they play out. might be a little too early for me to have hot takes just yet. Might bring those out next week. Um, but I do want to get into some pom-poms for this week. Uh, since Kevin's here, I'm going to go, since Kevin's not here, I'm actually going to run through a number of mine. I wasn't going to necessarily go through all of them, but since he's not here, a little bit more free time, we'll go through all of them. Um, first and foremost, one of my first, and I think, easiest ones that's going to be on everybody's list was Travis Etienne. Like, I mean, they flashed the stat up on the, the, the screen the other day and it gave me such a good chuckle because his first two carries, he had negative two yards rushing on his first two carries in the game. And then from there, he had 10 more carries for 207 yards and three touchdowns. That's ridiculous. Like, that's just insane. And it's like, I mean, what, he broke one for like 90-something? Like, he did, he, he'll he do it any way you need him to. And I think, like, honestly, like, his play is going to make or break that team because I get it. Like, um, Trevor Lawrence can spread the ball around and he can play well. I get it. The thing is, like, You've got to you've got to make people respect something else besides his arm and his throwing ability. Well, you can't do both. Like where we're talking about Alabama, where um, Duke was selling out. Well, yeah, if you sell out to stop Etienne, 
then I'm getting one on one, so I could throw the ball up to um, my my go getters at receiver, and like they'll just make you look foolish all day. And if you try to double them, then then I've got I've got you in in interior, and I'm just running the ball down your throat, and I, it it just really puts people in in a hell of a predicament. So um, that's gonna be my first pom pom. My second one is gonna go out to. Uh, Brandon Talton. Uh, I watched this game because there wasn't much on TV, but it was Nevada and Purdue, and Purdue was up by I think thirteen at a time. Ended up letting this game get back close, and then the freshman kicker hits a fifty-six yarder for the win in the first game. Oh, excuse me. Nevada was down 31-14, come back, and then have their freshman kicker drill one from 56 for the game. Not only did he hit that, they give him the game ball and a scholarship after the game. Like, that's just amazing. We talked about, like, kickers not getting a missed class. He definitely gets the missed class for his production. Um, But it's also led me to – a little bit. Oh, that's what I was going to say, too. Yeah, he started as the backup kicker. He wasn't even the starting kicker going into that game. He was the backup. That's incredible. Then, then he hits that kick, and then he gets the scholarship. So hats off to him. I want to give him a shine. That's Brandon Towson from Nevada in the 56-yarder for the win. Sidebar. I'm going to go into this because it frustrates the hell out of me. And coaches still do it. When the game's on the line and you're going to ice a kicker, you've got to call the timeout sooner. You've got you cannot let them get a practice snap off and let the kicker kick the ball and see that the ball is going towards the the pylon or excuse me towards the upright. Why would yeah no I've never understood this either. It's like. It's not getting in your head if you get to hit a strike. Like you're think about it, you're on your sideline the whole time outside of warmups. You're not getting to kick a ball outside into a net, and then you, it's less of a feel of how you get to kick it. And so when you're out there in a live rep, as we know, is a lot different than you know just kicking on air. Even if you're kicking in warmups, just kicking on air, live set, snap set kick lineman their distractions all around everybody watching you to get a live feel of the ball there as a kicker is like i want that more than anything give me a practice kick i want so i was like i said i was watching this game purdue takes a timeout he gets to kick the practice they he still kicks the practice tip they zoom in on him the practice tip was not close to going in but they zoom in on him and he just has this look he's like yeah i'm good and he just sh- shook his head and i think like for him, confidence-wise, he was like, oh, I either miss hit this or I pushed it a little bit much. And I know I've still got some leg behind this. And if I just hit it straight, I got this. And I'd be damned. They lined it up and snapped it this next. And he, he was true as could be and just boomed it. And so that's that's my, my big pet peeve for the week. Like, call the timeout earlier. Like, get it out there. Um, so that the other player doesn't have time to like see the ball go off of his foot and then make adjustments. You want his first kick on the field to be the one that counts. Mm-hmm. 
So, moving forward, obviously, gotta give a um, gotta give a pom pom to Jonathan Taylor. Like he walked into the game and just he did what he does. I mean, he had sixteen carries for one hundred thirty five yards. Um, he had two rushing touchdowns. He also caught two passes for forty eight yards and had two touchdowns there. Like, I mean. I don't know if you see or USF is that bad, but he just did whatever he wanted to that game. And like I said before, like Wisconsin's gonna have to ride him um to where they wanna go. But ultimately, like I mean, he's a workhorse and he keeps putting up statistics like that. You'll probably see him in uh New York for the Heisman finalist. Um another pom pom going out to Tylen Wallace. Uh, don't know how many of you got to watch the Oklahoma State game the other day. Uh, I was flipping back and forth, didn't really concentrate on it a lot, but um, he had five catches for 92 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, if you've watched Tylen Wallace uh, in previous years, like this is a normal stat line for him. He is a monster at receiver, and I think like for them to be really good, like he's going to have to have a big year, and I mean – to what I've seen now, there's not many teams that have prevented him from catching the ball and getting to where he wants to go. So I would say continue to look for him having weeks like this uh, moving forward. So pom-pom for him. A little hometown favoritism here, but I did want to give a pom-pom to DeAndre Square. Um, We lost a lot on defense last year at Kentucky. Um, And this kid shows up. He played a little bit at spurts last year, Um, played a lot during the bowl game, but comes out this game, he has 11 tackles, one and a half for loss, and he had a pick in our first game. And really, every time you looked up, he was around the ball or making the play or doing something to affect the game. Um, Obviously, this is a game that I watch very closely, so this was a player that stood out to me, but... Not only me, but also Kurt Herbstreit had released his uh, Players of the Week, and he has a number of the same players that I had on this list, but he also had DeAndre Square, uh, which I think is a huge compliment for all the games to be going on to see his stat line and be like, yep, that kid showed out like he deserves to be on this list. Uh, and it kind of validates him being on my list. So definitely want to give a pom-pom to DeAndre Square. Um. Kevin's not here, but I'm sure he was going to give a pom-pom to Justin Fields. So we're going to give one to him as well. Uh, <laughs> I think he I think he showed you like his electricity and what he can provide to an offense. I think for his first game, un- like as the guy, he had a pretty damn good uh, opening act. I think he's going to be tested this week. So we're going to see how how good he is operating. Uh, with a little bit more pressure. But I think as week one, um, if you're an Ohio State fan, you got to be happy with what uh, Ryan Day was able to call for him and like put him in positions to succeed. I think he's going to play well throughout the year. Uh, but you got to be excited with what you saw for the first week. So pom-pom for uh, Justin Fields as well. Only got a couple more left here. Um, did want to give a pom-pom out to a guy that was on the losing end of of um, a, a game, but it's Brian Anderson, the receiver from Oregon. Um, 
it was on a scoop and score, and the big hoss from Auburn was just rumbling downfield. And Anderson, like, hawks him down and tackles him at the two, and they don't end up scoring because of that. And I think that that's a big deal because it kept Oregon, it kept the game to where it was, and it almost turned out to be a game-saving tackle. Um, I wrote it down before the game was over, but I did want to call it out because that hustle is something that you don't see all the time, but it matters. So I wanted to give him a nod. Uh, also, I'm giving out three pom-poms to our first-year coaches, Mel Bro- or Mel Tucker, Mac Brown, Les Miles, uh, oh, four, excuse me, and also Neil Brown, uh, all getting their first wins. Um, I think it's important to get off to the right foot. Uh, so all of them would get a pom-pom from us. Uh, last two here, Jalen Hurts. I mean, he's got to get a pom-pom. He's two. Or he's 20 for 23 for 332 and three touchdowns in the air. And then he had 16 carries for 176 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. The kid was electric. I mean, he was just downright nasty and electric, and he did whatever he wanted to. And I think he, he did it against a good Houston team as well. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of that from uh, Jalen Hurts throughout the year. And this might be one of many pom-poms for him. As someone who's watched kind of his saga at Alabama, I'm like unbelievably excited for how his season started. And like, I'm really looking forward to see how it plays out through this year. I think he deserves to have a great year. Um, I think it, it looks like he's put in the work to be better at the things that people nitpicked on him about. So I'm excited for that. Uh, he had to get a pom-pom. Congrats, Jalen Hurts. And my final pom-pom. You better hit the right guy. <laughs> it's got to be Dan Ellington, baby. I mean, 139 yards passing and two touchdowns and 61 yards rushing in a touchdown. To go in and shut up 105,000 fans on the road Mm. as you're a 25-point underdog and to come out with a dub after you went 2-10 the year before, you're absolutely getting a pom-pom. Dan Ellington from Georgia State getting my final pom-pom. Congratulations to him and the Panthers for their huge win at Tennessee. Man, he really wasn't that great. That's a testament to how bad Tennessee was, though. I mean, he was that great. He got he 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 did his job. I mean, his stat line was pretty terrible, but his stat he, line has a W on it. Oh, I, I'm just saying, like that's how bad Tennessee was. Oh no, 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 no. We don't. We're not going to take away from Dan here. I think there's one person you're not mentioning that I think would be my actually number one on my list. So I have to go ahead and mention him. So this person. Um, is somebody who I am calling my shot now in three years, maybe four, will be a first-round pick. This person is a freshman making their start on the road 2,000 miles away from where they live and threw for 400 yards against a more talented defense. So that is freshman Boise State quarterback Hank Bachmeyer. Is Is their defense more talented based on what? What, Florida State? Yeah, based on what? 
I mean, based on how many guys you're going to see from this team get drafted in the NFL, I mean, that it's all arbitrary, I guess, in some regards. Coaching is a big part of it, too. But I just think, like, the what I saw from him in the pocket was it was not 18-year-old stuff. It was... I agree. It was go through progressions, keep your eyes downfield, get hit in the mouth while you're throwing the ball, but still step into a throw. It was... You know, the thing I think I see in quarterbacks now that I didn't when I was younger that I always look for is it's the innate pocket presence thing. It's not something you can teach. I know uh, McElroy, who was calling the game, was like saying it was all coaching stuff. And sure, you can coach it to a certain point, but there's an element to pocket presence that's innate to a quarterback where you can sense and feel where pressure's coming from and slide and help your Mm O-line. And he just has the it factor there. And he's the sky's the limit for that guy. I think he's going to be a superstar. And so, yeah, that's – if I have to give my first pom-pom out, it's to Hank Bachmeyer. That's fair. I I was very impressed with his play. I thought that Florida State helped him a lot by just not communicating and playing well defensively. But uh, to be a freshman, to your point, to be a freshman and to produce with that stat line and and to win. And, and I mean, it's I'd say a hostile environment. Like, um, it was pretty impressive. So I will, I'll give you that. I'll give you that one. Oh. But uh, with that being said, that's our – those are our pom-poms for the week. Um, just like any other week, we're going to go back. We're going to – We'll watch uh, the upcoming games this week. We've got a great schedule, great lineup of games. I think um, it's going to be easy to say, like, which teams went back to the drawing board this week and and made adjustments to be better. It's going to also be uh, easier to tell which teams were frauds and were just playing bad teams. Um, We'll have a great episode for you next week. Um, Also, catch us later this week. We're going to have our Moneyline episode uh, hopefully I do a little bit better than uh, I thought I was going to do again, but um, we'll figure that out and we'll be back next week uh, or excuse me, later this week to do the money line and we'll be back next week to recap uh, as always, as always, please, please, please take a moment to subscribe to us uh, wherever you listen to your podcast at. Um, if you're on Apple, please take a moment to uh, rate us and leave us a review those are very critical to our success as a podcast. Um, any kind words that you can leave, we'd love to hear from you. As well as we've got a Twitter and an Instagram. It's uh, at Peace of Mind 615. Uh, be vocal. Let us know what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. Um, feel free to vote on games that you think that we should discuss, players that we should discuss or that we left out. If you see pom-poms throughout the week, send it over to us. We'd love to hear from you. Um, the more fan interaction we get, the better. Uh, we're going to keep coming to you every week, keep hopefully uh, dropping you some knowledge here on some things that you, you either saw and they stood out to you or maybe you didn't catch. But um, it's something that we enjoy, we love to do, and we're just glad that you all are here listening to us. So um, from all of us, we appreciate it. Thank you, and we'll catch you later this week. Yep, have a good week. We did lose to a five and seven Tennessee team.